Hey, are you hurt, scared, feeling guilty? You may be closer to true faith than you realize. Let's talk about it with Scott Souls on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And we're so glad you're here that you take an hour out of a busy schedule to spend it with us is a high and holy compliment. And as I say and mean often, you always have a seat at our table. In case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew, our executive producer, isn't here. He's in Germany at a convention of film directors. But our producer, Jinx, is here. He's still working hard in his little booth because Jinx cares about doing God's work. (laughs) Our video director and one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. Thankfully, John isn't sick anymore. He had COVID. He just couldn't stand the irony of being a computer guy who had a virus. And George Bingham, Dr. George Bingham, is the president of Key Life. George said he never gets triggered or offended. Then I offered him some decaf coffee and it all came apart. And then Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Some people uh, think that Kathy is controlling, but she's definitely not. Kathy, did I get that right? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) We got a great guest today, and this is a really good book. Um, I find it personally helpful. I'm ordained, and people don't think I get scared, but I'm scared spitless and that I don't have any regrets. You have no idea. Uh, Guilty? Why do you think I talk about grace? (laughs) And so I've been reading Scott's book this morning, and I'm fixed. Uh, (laughs) You're very fortunate to have me hosting this program Because how many people are you going to find who have no regrets, never feel guilty, and aren't ever scared? And if you listen to this program and to our guests very carefully, at the end of the program, you'll be fixed, too. And uh, (laughs) you believe that, you'll believe anything. Scott Saul serves as senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He served at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, working alongside Tim Keller. Scott also planted two churches in the Midwest, and he frequently speaks at conferences, leadership retreats, and to university students. In addition to contributing to periodicals like Christianity Today, Relevant, The Gospel Coalition, Scott has authored six books, and if I can find it, his latest book, which I hold 
in my nicotine-stained fingers is titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Human Beings. Don't turn off. This is not what you think it is. He's not going to give you a list of religious things that you need to do. And if you do them perfectly, you'll be perfect. This book is refreshing. Where'd you get the title? Uh, I thought that was cool. Uh, yeah, it came from a, uh, an Elizabeth Kubler-Ross quote. She's a grief expert and uh, famous for her work on death and dying. Um, and came across a quote where, this is a paraphrase, Steve, but she says that the most beautiful, remarkable people that she's known are the people who've known defeat, uh, known struggle, uh, you know, hit bottom in, in various ways and found their way somehow out of those depths. And then they become these people of deep loving concern. They become approachable. Uh, they become humble. Uh, they become the kinds of people who show up uh, for others. And then the last sentence of the excerpt is beautiful people do not just happen. And so uh, while you're not allowed to plagiarize entire excerpts, uh, you are allowed to plagiarize sound bites from other people's work. And so <laughs> my publisher Zondervan uh, was very enthusiastic about that particular title. Uh, that and I, I am She's too. So the, the late Google Ross, isn't she? She died, uh, I, didn't she? I don't know. I mean, she's her voice has been out there for all of my life, so I wouldn't Mine be surprised too. if Listen, this case. I'm very old. So <laughs> she, she's not dead. She's 120. And uh, I just would like <laughs> to have been there when she died to see if it worked. Mm. All the stuff she'd been teaching all those mm. years that we've yeah. all quoted over and over again. It's kind of at the beginning, I was being facetious when I said I was fixed. And if you'll listen, you'll get fixed. We're not home yet. We're not going to get this stuff all fixed, are we? Um, I mean, over 30 years a Christian and almost 30 years a pastor, um, I haven't found a pathway to the yes answer to that question yet. So I, I imagine that, you know, at 54 years old, um, you know, I remember when I first became a, a Christian, I, I thought, you know, what, 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 will, what kind of person will I be when I'm 54 years old? I, I will be, I will be as close to perfect and, and, and uh, wonderful as, as a human could possibly be. And, and here I am feeling more sinful and broken and defeated now than I, than I did back then. Oh, um, and yet also more aware uh, and more well-versed uh, in the things that, that we've listened to you say for, for many years, Steve, in order to fix us. Uh, the problem mm -hmm. is we need fixing every day and every moment, because as soon as we're fixed, we break again. Um, so uh, thank you as well for your, your ministry to us. Isn't when you say that uh, and ask people and use yourself as an example and say, look, I'm not fixed. I thought I'd be a lot better by now. That's freeing in itself, isn't it? It can be. Um, it can also be deeply painful. Um, you know, because it becomes material, especially if you're a public person for, for people to use against you. Um, and so there's a, there's a dance there, right. Um, where if, if you become too transparent, uh, and, 
and two out there with with the gospel somebody is bound to um you know uh you know try to do some judo uh, on you with your with your true tales of weakness and and regret and 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 so on and yet yet it is freeing i mean there there's no more paralyzing way to live than to live dishonestly to live uh, disintegrated uh uh, to live uh, in the absence of integrity, uh, where everything's integrated together, um, private life and public life the same, and, and and in order for private and public life to be the same, um, we, we've got to bring um, honesty about our vices and aspiration about virtue uh, into both of those those spheres. Um, but if you're a uh, pastor, you've got to be careful if you need the uh, job. Especially these days, yeah. Um, One time I saw you know, A.V. Hill meeting with a group of pastors after the Baker Swaggart fiasco, and they were all talking about the importance of honesty. And E.V. Hill, my friend, whom I miss a lot, said, you guys are crazy. Haven't you looked at what happened to these guys when everybody knew? It'll be cold in a hot place before I confess my sins publicly. Mm-hmm. And uh, there wasn't a pastor who didn't understand when he yeah. said that, what he was talking about. But yeah. there's a way to do that, isn't there? You do it. There is. I mean, we we, we, wanna, we have to be very careful not to, you know, so dramatize our own stories that it, it detracts attention away from Jesus and the gospel. Um there can be a very, very self-serving way to be publicly transparent. Uh, so it becomes about you and, and not a bridge to who, who Christ is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 uh, and we've also got to be careful about, you know, potentially turning, you know, our churches or the groups of people that we, we lead or, or speak to or write to into our own group therapy session. Right. Um, you know, beware <laughs> of the motive uh, to, to, to desire quick feedback, uh, after you get real with your story. Uh, if that, if that impulse of, if there's any whiff of wanting to do it in order to get immediate feedback, um, you know, that's probably a good sign that now's not the time. (laughs) I've often said to my congregation when I was a pastor and I no longer am for which I'm grateful, (laughs) Say, if you think I'm going to confess my sins to you, you're out of your mind. You're just not that safe. But Mm -hmm. I want you to know they're there. And if you don't think there are, uh, then you are plain crazy. But there is a solution. Uh, God's grace is really big. A lot bigger than you think it is. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about that with Scott Saul's this book. Man, and we've all been there. We've all felt what he describes. Uh, the title is Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And they don't become beautiful by becoming more religious. They become beautiful by running to Jesus. And we'll flesh that out when we come back. And just like Jesus, we are coming back.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, we're so glad you're with us. Our guest is pastor and author Scott Souls, and uh, his uh, new book is titled Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the making of better humans. It's a great book for a a study for a small group in your church, men's group that meets at seven in the morning. Uh, It uh, can uh, get people fixed before the day gets going. (laughs) (laughs) I won't be there. Why is it always men's groups that meet at seven o'clock? Because I'm a guy. Why do they meet in small groups? I think of men. But I'm thinking seven in the evening. You I'm can Jake. about the transgender thing. I saw a dress the other day that really was attractive. Hush. Um, <laughs> Not wearing it. Scott, uh, in the book, I wanted to ask you, um, you were talking about believers and um, for lack of a better term, um, when believers find themselves like in, um, you know, in the valley, they're going through hurt and or fear or regret what whatever and you mentioned that we may be closer to true faith when we're there in in those situations than when we're outside of it which mm-hmm. sounds very much like a counterintuitive statement but would you elaborate on that a little bit cuz i suspect it's not yeah so um I think uh, somewhere in the book, I quote uh, Pastor Joe Novenson from the Chattanooga area, and uh, he's sort of a, a father uh, to pastors in, in the tribe that I'm part of. Uh, and he says, the feel of faith is not the feeling of strength, uh, but rather the feeling of dependent weakness. That's that's what that's what the feeling of faith is in its most you know pure essence. And I think that resonates uh, with with the Apostle Paul's testimony, for example, where his thorn in the flesh uh, experience happens, and he goes through this whole process of of just trying to wish away his his pain, and uh, and God shepherds him and forms him through that process to the realization that the strength of God and the power of God are manifest most clearly and vividly through through our weakness, and even to the point where Paul starts to delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, you know, Jacob became Israel um, 
the moment that God gave him a limp, uh, afflicted his hip socket for the rest of his life. Uh, his name transitioned from liar to, to, um, you know, to Israel. And I mean, imagine, imagine your uh, family of origin story. If your own father had named you liar, um, <laughs> Uh, but but God redeems that wound, right? He he uh, he redeems us at the place of of the deepest wound. But every 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 book of the Bible, except for maybe one or two of them, was written by a slave, uh, a refugee, an asylum seeker, um, somebody who was facing the threat of death through persecution, or you know about to be uh, arrested or in jail. Uh, these are the people who delivered the scriptures to us. Uh, that that should tell us something that should send a message that uh, the best things uh, come into the world through, through pain. I mean, we've all heard the, um, you know, the, the story about the tortured artists, right. Where the best creativity comes through, um, you know, devastation, even, you know, Van Gogh was an insane in an insane asylum when he painted his best paintings or, um, you know, Jackson Pollock and, and Mark Rothko uh, as well, just two very tortured men who created masterpieces uh, through that process. Um, you could go on and on and on about how just beauty comes through pain, just the birthing process. Um, it, it seems to be woven into the fabric of a fallen universe that that the avenue to glory and to greatness and to, to beauty is it, it, there's never a bypass road around hardship and pain um you know to get there it always you know goes through it like one of our one of our hymns that we sing quite regularly that was written by a blind man who lived alone uh, includes a line about the joy that seeketh me through pain the joy that seeks me through pain uh, i cannot close my heart to you and so i don't know it just seems to be everywhere in the redemption story uh it's it's unavoidable you know if you want to follow me you must deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me and 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 so could go on and on about that, but it's hard Scott, to deny you, from scripture. <clears throat> Scott, you talk about pain, and I think everybody gets that. Uh, the suffering that's built into a fallen world, sometimes personal, sometimes communal, but it's always there. But when you move into sin, a lot of religious people will say that's different. That's a choice. Uh, and you could choose to be obedient and not be obedient. And the regret about which you speak in the book is often about people's sin, <laughs> about choices they made, about things they should not have done and did do, places they should not have gone but went. <laughs> say a word about that, too. Or are you just going to say, repent and get well? <laughs> Well, the, the getting well and, you know, candidly, the repentance part is, is all the work of God. And so, um, you know, it's hard to be too forceful uh, on somebody um, with any biblical integrity anyway, uh, uh, when we're trying to manage and micromanage somebody else's uh, flaws and sins. Um, I don't know. I, I, again, my, 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 my thoughts go to the woman caught in the act of adultery first. You know, I wonder why the, all the men didn't drag the man who was caught in the act of adultery into the center square as well. Um, clearly a hierarchy there and a devaluation of women, but um, you know, they just want to excoriate her for what she's been caught in the act of and, and then enters Jesus. And, you know, he, he asks them a gotcha question and they, they all walk away. 
it's just her and him. And the first thing he says to her is, I don't condemn you. Um, let's just let that establish the climate for our relationship and for everything I'm going to tell you after this. Uh, I don't condemn you. Now, you know, let's talk about your ethics. In the context of no condemnation, let's talk about a better life and what that could look like and what a pathway forward looks like. But, but in terms of past regrets, um, if the gospel is true, which I think it is, then, then even a, you know, David who had Solomon through the wife of Uriah, as it says in the genealogy of Jesus, um, you know, was chosen to give us 50% of the Psalms and for Jesus himself to, 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 to identify himself as the son of David, uh, the man after God's own heart, uh, or Saul of Tarsus, the violent persecutor, uh, of, of the church becomes, uh, God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so damaged, um, you know, made a train wreck of your life. Uh, I'm not so sure that means God's done with you. It might just mean he's getting started with you. True. And repentance is the recognition. It's the first step. Doesn't mean you get fixed. It just means that you know where you've been and what you've done and uh, holy God and how he feels about that. And what leads us to repentance? This as we go along, you're going to find this book quite freeing. People don't just happen. Beautiful ones. Beautiful people just don't happen. Uh, and maybe in the place where it hurts the most, you're closest to the one who cares the most, even Jesus. So stay with us. You'll be glad you did. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What do you do for a living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. out with pastor and author scott souls by the way you can keep up with him at scott souls spelled as you think it is dot com and on twitter and instagram at scott souls scott you were right at the end of the segment we were running out of time on that previous segment but you were uh, looked like you were interjecting a comment on uh, repentance which uh well, I uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to finish. It sounded interesting. Thanks, George. I was actually trying to, um, you know, uh, catch Steve, see if he could 
answer some Bible trivia questions, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was asking the question, what is it that leads people to repentance? Because uh, we were talking about that. And of course, as Romans reminds us, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repent. It's not our repentance that leads God to be kind. And mm-hmm. um, that's a that's a pretty good pattern for how uh, we as God's people ought to treat people um, who are stuck in some pattern of of sin. Um, it's kindness. I've, I've, I've never met a single person in my, you know, 30 something years of being a Christian who has this, this story, you know, when, when a, when a Christian or a group of Christians scolded me about my lifestyle and wagged their finger at me and told me to get my act together. I mean, that's all it took to, to drive me into the arms of Jesus Christ and embrace his salvation. I've, I've never met anybody with that story. I'm sure they exist somewhere. Uh, I don't know why they would exist, but they exist somewhere. I'm sure. Um, but I've never met them, but I've met, I've met. I haven't either. literally I'm hundreds a lot of older than you are. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what the, the, the junkies and the, the alcoholics and the addicts and, and the adulterers are in my experience, um, uh, the prime candidates for conversion and um, repentance and renewal and a, a life lived thereafter, um, uh, giving birth to the fruit of the spirit. Uh, and, and so, you know, bring me the junkie junkies, uh, you know, because <laughs> um, I think the junkies have something to teach Bible thumpers. Uh, mm, I'm being well, honest. Do they? Yes. And, and as a, kind of a follow-up, um, you used a, a metaphor um, uh, analogy uh, with uh, wor- uh, a trainer working out our muscles and, and God uh, working out our, our souls mm-hmm. and the stretching of our souls and, and uh, so forth, leading us to being able to uh, better enjoy God and endure suffering. Can you kind of expand on that? And, uh, mm-hmm. and do we have any um, part in that? Are there yes. practices or uh, workouts, so to speak, that Absolutely. we can do that help with that? Absolutely. Well, that, you know, that, that, that section of the book is an attempt to shed some light on uh, the, the part of Philippians where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Interesting. It doesn't say work on your salvation and it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation, uh, which like going to the gym, working out is, is strengthening something that you already have and that you're not going to lose. I will have biceps uh, at the end of my life, whether I exercise them and grow them or not. I will still have biceps. I, I, I will not lose my biceps in all likelihood. I'll get some flab around them, uh, you know, but, but, but I'm not going to lose my biceps. They're going to, they're going to still be there. And the proof is that I can still lift a cup of coffee um, or in Steve case, Steve's case, a pipe or a cigarette, but um, nonetheless, uh, uh, you know, to, to giving us faith and sustaining our faith and uh causing us, helping us, causing us, leading us to endure to the end is God's work. It's him who works in us to will and to act according to his purpose. But it's our work uh, also to do the work to strengthen what God's given us. Uh, and, you know, the exercise routine is is the ordinary disciplines of, of you know, 
prayer, life in community, uh, especially in the context of a local church where the gospel is faithfully preached and embodied in the culture uh, and um, getting, getting, you know, deeply familiar with uh, and have a f- deeply familiar relationship with the Bible. You know, as Spurgeon once said, um, you know, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's some, some wisdom in there somewhere, um, that, that these things are good for you. And, and, uh, our, you know, our worship director has a great analogy there. He, you know, he asked me once, he said, how many meals in your 54 year old life do you remember eating? And I said, maybe 10 to 12. And, and they were all epic. And, and he said, what if you ate that way every meal of every single day? Um, and I said, I'd, I'd probably be fat, you know, super fat or super dead. Uh, and <laughs> he said, isn't it true that, that it's the ordinary forgettable, uh, rhythmic every day, three times a day, broccoli that you don't really like, you know, bland cuts of protein, et cetera, that actually sustain and grow and develop life. And, and so, you know, we're not always feeling it when we, when we exercise the disciplines and we usually aren't uh, on some mountaintop, but that doesn't mean that God's not forming us and nourishing us uh, when we take that step of obedience to show up for the God who's already shown up for us and is just waiting for us to be with him. Hmm. So good. The name of the book is Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And when we come back, we're going to talk about righteousness and how sometimes when we're growing the way Scott was talking about, we don't even know it because God knows is that he gives us an inch, we'll take a mile. <laughs> hey, listen, you don't want to miss any of this. So stay right where you are and we'll come back. irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know, She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, thanks for spending time during your day with us. That means a lot to us. We're hanging out with Scott Souls, and his book is titled Beautiful People Just Don't Happen. And uh, by the way, do you get our weekly email? It's called Key Life Connection, and it's really not half bad. While you're thinking about it, go to keylife.org slash subscribe. 
give it a try and we won't hit you for money very often or try to sell you anything. We'll try to encourage you and remind you that if you were, send cash. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, Scott, I mean, you've talked some about, you know, in enduring the suffering, enduring through and and the struggles we uh, we experience. And and when we, you know, screw up and hurt somebody and some things like that. But a lot of the time it's just that kind of um, anxiety, fear and and worry uh, about life coming up and. How do, how do we deal with those kind of things? Talk about well, your mentor at seminary, too. That was a good story. The the t- wetness on your shirt from the oh, tears. Yeah, yeah. Jerem Barris. Hey, congratulations. You got through chapter one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's Jerem Barris. And uh, I was at uh, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis in my 20s and had... Um, had symptoms that that mimicked uh, a a terminal disease, and I had those symptoms for a period of about six months, and just having all these worries about you know not not getting to live the life that I dreamed of living. Uh, will I ever get married? Will I ever have a a church to pastor? Will I ever you know have children? Will I ever get to grow old? Um, and you know his his encouragement to me was you know, talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. And, uh, he said that through tears and, uh, um, you know, ever since that time and and even before then anxiety and worry about the future has been, uh, uh, somewhat of a recurring theme in varying degrees in my life. And, uh, so the book, you know, toward the end, uh, you know, the last handful of chapters, I call them prologues until the very last one. Um, but, um, you know, the very last couple of pro- prologues fast forward into the life that we haven't lived yet, uh, which is the life that is promised in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, especially in places like First Corinthians 15 uh, and uh, places like Revelation 21 and 22. But the bottom line is that, um, you know, no matter how happy or sad we are, no matter how thriving or languishing we are in this very, very temporary uh, life that we're, we are living or this very, very temporary portion of our lives that, that, that we're living, um, the long-term future worst case scenario for every Christian is resurrection and everlasting life. That's as bad as it's going to get a hundred years, a thousand years and a billion years from now. Your worst case scenario is, is everlasting, ever increasing, uh, never ending bliss. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do I know this? It's because, and Steve, as a seminary professor, maybe you can vouch for, for the study of New Testament Greek, which I thought was a waste of time back in seminary. I still think that most of it was, uh, with all due respect to my, you know, Greek scholar friends for me, it was because I've forgotten most of it. But the thing I have remembered is the importance of, of making sure, you know, what the words meant in their original, uh, giving. Uh, and when Jesus says, uh, in the future, I, I am making all things new uh, as, as he will say, as portrayed in revelation 21, 
Um, he's, he's literally saying from the original Greek, I am continually making all things new, which means tomorrow and the next day, uh, we're all going to feel younger, stronger, faster, smarter, um, all of that more and more every single day forever and ever in the same way that we know that the universe is constantly expanding. Uh, it, it has never ceased expanding ever since God first created it. The human soul and the human capacity for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be ever increasing. Uh, um, every day better than the day before, as as uh, C.S. Lewis's Aslan reminds us, um, you know, world without end. And so um, I, I think the more that we can import that perspective into our minds and hearts in the present day, uh, it gives us a greater capacity to endure whatever uh, we have to endure uh, in a fallen world and in these fallen, frail, you know, bodies and hearts and minds that we we currently carry. Uh, so, so hopefully, you know, for for the worry warts in all of us, um, the the book ends in a in a note of of hope. Yeah, mm. uh, Scott, I know what you're going to say, but you do need to say it. You're not minimizing the pain. I mean, there are people no. who are listening right now who are no. facing cancer diagnosis, mm -mm. the loss of a child, uh, a background of abuse. You're not just saying in a flippant way, you're going to mm -hmm. go to heaven, so deal with it. Not at That's all. That's not what you're saying at all. Not at all. In the context of uh, you know Lazarus's death, Jesus shows up at the tomb and and, and he weeps. And he gets angry again. We know that only from the uh, Koine Greek, uh, because our English translations seem to soften what the original says. When when our English translations say Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, um, you know the real taste and texture of, of the original Greek is that he was mad as a hornet. He was fuming mad. And I don't know why we we don't like people to know about the angry Jesus, but it, it's very comforting to me to know that Jesus is is infuriated with death and wants to excoriate it and and obliterate it. Um, but it's in that context of, of Jesus shedding tears and sharing the tears of Mary, Martha, and the other mourners that he also issues the promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, the one who believes in me will never die and, and will live forever um, while also weeping. And so this is a great thing about the truth of the gospel is it is it frees us uh, to be uh, supremely um, optimistic uh, about the future, but while also being supremely realistic about the present and also our, our painful past. Um, you know, this is a great thing about Christianity is it, it, it invites us to, to put it all out on the table, uh, to spill our guts, uh, as it were, and, and to name uh, the hard and, 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 and yet to do so in hope. Like we grieve as Thessalonians tells us, but not without hope. And I think that applies to when a loved one has died, but I think it applies to all forms of grief as well. Oh man. Scott has been so good to have you with us. Frankly, if I lived in Nashville, you'd be my pastor. <laughs> you solicit you. trust and speak wisdom and you Thank smell you, like Jesus. <laughs> and you'll find all of that in this book. It is a delightful book by Scott Souls. Beautiful people don't just happen. Scott, thanks for spending this time with us. Thanks, everyone. Hope we can do it again. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks.
All right, guys, we're going to back out, but we're going to come back for a short time and tell you who we're going to do it unto when we return. And as I always say, you will be intrigued and amazed. Even if Kathy doesn't know who it is, don't go away. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Oh man, a good hour uh, with Scott. He says some things that need to be heard by all of us. Uh, C.S. Lewis had Aslan say to one of the kids whose mother was dying, uh, it is very hard, and that's why we must be so kind to one another. That's true. Uh, Early in my ministry, when my father died, a pastor, I was speaking for a group of churches in Tennessee, and this pastor, I wish I could remember his name. I'd give him credit. I remember he was very heavy, and he hugged me and held me while I wept. And he said, son, use this. Every time you talk to 10 people, seven of them will have a broken heart. And I've remembered that over these years. Uh, My business isn't to beat people over the head. They get enough of that from the world or to condemn them for sin or even for being human. My responsibility, and that's what uh, Scott has done for us during this hour, is to point them to Jesus. And everything you think about God is uh, seen through what you think and what you know about Jesus. Gentle, kind, caring, uh, weeping. Uh, Just remember that. And uh, I found this book to be quite comforting. And I'm old, so, you know, it's not the first time I've heard it. But Scott preached the gospel to me, and uh, Luther said, we got to do that for each other or we'll become discouraged. So, get it. It's a great book. Beautiful people don't just happen. And it sounds like he's going to beat you up, (laughs) but he's going to tell you about Jesus. And that'll be good. Kathy, who's going to be on next week? Next week is our friend Tom Wood, and his book is titled Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. 
We've had Tom Mond before. Uh, he he uh, wrote a book with a uh, he collaborated uh, previously uh, on on another book back several years ago, and now he's done one on his own. So he's one of the good guys. Yeah. and has been a blessing in my life for a hundred years. And man, is God using him? He's one of the uh, most important pastor coaches in the country. So don't miss it. Be same time, same place. Hope you'll join us. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth. Make me one.